While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. So let me ask you a question. When? <laughs> Whoa, what if I said no? <laughs> no. Well, I'm just going to ask you on anyway. Let me do when, something to you. When does Christmas start in your household? Okay. Now, it, uh, what? Hmm, this is a complicated question. When, when does it start in your household and are all the members of your household on the same page about when Christmas starts? That's what I want to know. I think we're generally on the same page. Um, For me, it begins like with Thanksgiving, just after Thanksgiving. I'm okay if you want to spend a day on Thanksgiving weekend. You're already with your family. If you're going to start setting up for Christmas that day. Oh, we're going to go pick up a tree that day. Not on, yeah, I can not on that. Thanksgiving. You're you're too drunk and full of turkey. But well, not the day after Thanksgiving because you're out there getting all them deals. Well, and, and you're getting all them trampling deals. a soccer mom to death so you can get fifty bucks off a Wii U. <laughs> Precisely. So yeah. you gotta you gotta you gotta buy a tree on Green Saturday so you can hide your tickle me Mario behind it. Ew, tickle me Mario. Or or you what go- would tickle me Mario. <laughs> Thank you so much for tickling my belly, is what he would say. (laughs) Um, Well, it's it's also Saturday's Small Business Saturday. Have you heard of that? What? Yeah, I heard that on the radio a couple times. On the radio, Andrew. (laughs) Almost as dumb as Cyber Monday. Um, But yeah, there have been some Christmas TV movies on in our house recently. Already? Like right now? Not right now. Uh, I mean, like, at this general point in time, not, like, right this very second. (laughs) Yeah, in the past week or so. They've been on the TV. Um, You've just got Year Without a Santa Claus on your TV all the time. No, it's more... No, it's like Matchmaker Santa and Boyfriend for Christmas. You know, the Hallmark movie classics. What is Boyfriend for Christmas? What Anne Hathaway movie is Boyfriend for Christmas? No, the most recognizable actor you're going to get in a movie on par with Boyfriend for Christmas, which I don't think she's actually in, is the oldest sister from Full House. She's in at least (laughs) two Hallmark Christmas films. Okay. Um, I know that much. But those are like the sci-fi television channel equivalent of a romantic comedy for the most, like... Like Claus Nato. Claus I in want the, that movie now. <laughs> in the in the Cunningham Rosenberg household, I maintain that Christmas should start around like December first. That's not a bad. I'm, I'm cool. Good. I'm cool with an after Thanksgiving thing. Yeah, like as far as decorating and stuff goes. But I always I always trick myself into thinking that like the twelve days of twelve days of Christmas start on Christmas, right? 
I thought it was the 12 days leading up to Christmas. No, because the advent calendar has more than 12 days. Like the like the piece of paper with the bad chocolate in it that has but all the song is the the song and the advent calendar aren't those just separate things? I didn't know they had anything to do with each other. But that's what I'm saying is I think the twelve days of Christmas start on Christmas and the advent oh, okay. calendar counts down to Christmas. And then the twelve days count up from Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. Have we introduced the show yet? No. Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> This is a podcast about books and holidays that you've been meaning to celebrate. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Um, and we are all about that Christmas creep. Or not about it at or all. Or not. No, not really. Not so much. I don't need Christmas now. I will tell you that much. I just, I can't, I can't live in this like Ray Bradbury-esque <laughs> world of perpetual Christmas <laughs> that we're, like the Macy's in the in the mall in Newport had Christmas decorations up at like the end of September. Yeah. There's a guy in that mall right now dressed as Santa. That's terrible. They already have a Santa. And what I mean, while that I think is good for Santa's the, the Santa industry, <laughs> like to have a whole extra month of work tacked onto their normal do their normal think, workload. Like that's great. But that does that the Aluma Claudy Clausdy. The the okay. The el- the Christmas Masons, the Christmas Masons, the Christmasons, Christmas Masons, that they are perpetuating Christmas creep. Do you think they're behind it all? It's not even about perpetuating Christmas creep; it's just about expanding it. Well, but it's—I mean, perpetual. It's here every year, and it's, it's creeping every year. It's yeah. perpetual. Do you think they're expanding Christmas to get that sweet dough? Um, yeah, that could be it. I mean, when we're going to see Santa in October soon. We're going to see Santa in July wearing shorts. Everyone like, hey, has kid. to go as hey, Santa kid. for Halloween now. Sit that's, on my lap. That's the rule. Check out my swim trunks. <laughs> hey, kid. Santa's got some SPF 30 for you. Check out Buffett Claws in concert at the North Pole. <laughs> um, So books? I uh, Maybe I'll get some books for Christmas. All right. Or we should talk about books, though, too, right? Well, yeah, I would ask for um, Gone Girl, but you are you read it, right? So I don't. I, I did. Don't need to... This week, I read Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, whose name is pronounced Gillian, even though Craig thought it was Jillian. Yep. And he th- swore it was Jillian until I sent him a YouTube video of Gillian Flynn reading her own name, and then I swore, <laughs> and then you were really upset. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's all right. I don't need to be upset with a woman about her name. That's fine. I yeah. can let that go. It's cool. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we always have the spoiler warning up front, but since this book came out in 2012 and it just recently came out as a major motion picture with um, with what's his name? Uh, the Benefer guy, Ben Affleck. The Benefer guy. Yeah. And um, and Doogie Howser. Uh-huh. And some other people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're, we're going to spoil it all. So if you, if you have any interest in seeing the movie or, um, reading the book or both and, uh, and probably, I, you probably should pause and come back. Like we'll wait. Yeah. We'll be here. Don't you worry. And I, I think it's, it's interesting cause this is one of those stories that, um, talking like whenever you read a review or you, someone recommends the book to you, they always mention that there's a huge spoiler. It's one of those stories that kind of hinges 
on some sort of twist. On some twist in the, in the middle. Um, in this case, which is yeah. weird. That's a weird experience because then, and I guess uh, we can get to this for your experience of the book if you knew or not the twist was coming or not i did not um because i think that kind of changes your experience of a book or a story if you know that something's coming mm-hmm. you know if you know that all of a sudden some kid's gonna be looking at dead people yeah and it's like it's 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 about setting expectations like i read another book over my vacation that we'll talk about in the next few weeks called um the secret history by donna tart ah uh, yeah that book and um that book starts like the very beginning of it is like you know, we murdered, we murdered our friend. <laughs> like that's how it begins. And when you begin with that, then you, like you as the author are making a really grand statement about what your book is about. Like it's not yeah. about getting up to this twist where they kill their friend. It's about examining these people and like the circumstances that led up to them killing their friend. Yes. And with Gone Girl, it's like, it's, it's the opposite. Like it's, Part of the point is figuring out what happens yes. in the middle, okay. instead of instead of it being a character study. Well, do we want to talk about the character of Gillian Flynn at all before we we dive into the book <laughs> itself? Well, uh, yeah, the fictitious character <laughs> of Gillian well, Flynn. Well, the, the fictitious character is Gillian Flynn. Um, <laughs> Gillian Flynn is the real woman who wrote the book. Uh, she was born in 1971. Uh, Gone Girl is his is her third of three novels. Yep. Uh, the first two are called Sharp Objects and Dark Places. Just uh, random she's stuff. She's big into she's big into adjective <laughs> noun. Um, Dark Places, incidentally, is apparently also going to be a major motion picture this year, and it will be out, I think, by the time we post this show. So, yeah, I don't think I it. knew that until yeah. I started researching this episode. That's weird. I think it's about. Like someone, some person investigating her brother's like complicity in the murder of her, her family and also a Satan cult. Great. Yeah. Um, Sounds like a barrel of laughs. I think <laughs> the, much has been made of in interviews of her like childhood appreciation for horror films, I think, as well, or early, or, you know, early appreciation, not necessarily as a child. Like mm. she watched Aliens and Alien, and I think she is a big fan of Rosemary's Baby, which we've covered in book form. Um, which I think there are some obvious references to in what is that Dark Places. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she seems interested in the macabre in a way that she's not going out and writing like Lovecraft novels. No, but her characters are often messed up in some <laughs> in some pretty <laughs> crucial way. Um, so yeah, she was uh, born in Missouri in Kansas City, and uh, Missouri is a backdrop for yes. a lot of her books. Particularly, I think uh, Sharp Objects took place mostly in Missouri. Gone Girl takes place mostly in Missouri. Um, she was a feature writer at Entertainment Weekly. Um, and she was a TV critic there before she was laid off in 2008. And um, of her experience being a journalist, she says, I could not have written a novel if, I'd, if I hadn't been a journalist first, because it taught me that there's no muse that's going to come down and bestow upon you the mood to write. You just have to do it. I'm definitely not precious. Which I totally get. Like, there are days <laughs> when I just don't, don't want to do it. I don't have enough to say about this phone. <laughs> Well, and I think that's interesting, too, the comparison between her work at 
EW, I'm sure, and your work in phone land <laughs> is probably pretty similar. Like, there's just an onslaught of things to write about. Mm-hmm. It might not all be the most interesting. Like, you don't just get to hunt for stories. There's just this slew of perpetual story coming at you. Right, yeah. And it's it's everything is really tightly controlled, and it's just a big... I don't know. You just spend most of your life rewriting press releases and stuff. <laughs> but uh yeah, I thought I thought that was I thought that was an interesting perspective because especially with it being um National Novel Writing Month right now. Yes. Like I think a lot of would-be novelists are running up against like what it's like to actually have to write stuff every day or like what it's like to be waiting for inspiration to strike you. And then you just write a million words. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. And, and I think, well, that's kind of the goal of novel writing month, right? Is to like, well, you, this is the month where you write the book. Just like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have the inspiration, just go for it. In theory. In yeah. That's theory, how it's anyway. supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, the one thing I want to come about, back to that journalist thing when we get into the book itself because I want to see, right? Yeah, if there's any how that relates to her style at all. But. Yeah. Um. Uh, the last thing is that her characters and her books have kind of been. She's been accused of being misogynist because of the way that women are sometimes portrayed in her books, and in response to that, she says, "You know, why? Why can't? Why can't women be like?" psychopaths <laughs> <laughs> like she kind of she kind of turns it around and, and and says you know there there's no rule in feminism or, or whatever that says that women can't be in her words uh trampy vampy bitchy types <laughs> <laughs> there's still a big pushback against the idea that women can be just pragmatically evil bad and selfish yes so very like cold and calculating in the style of one of the characters in Gone Girl, who we're, who we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting argument because I, she, in another interview that where that quote may have actually come from, talks about that she's not interested in creating characters without motivation. So for her, the line becomes like, "Oh, is is this just a like?" Capital C, capital W, crazy woman, just being crazy. Or is it like a character that is revealing, you know, truths about human behavior? And so regardless of whether it's a man or a woman, it's worth exploring. And then is there extra weight to whatever's happening because it's a woman? Like, that is that a conversation we should be having? You know, all that kind of and stuff. And to be fair, like, I, I don't think any of the male characters in Gone Girl come out, come out super well either. <laughs> like, yeah. There are no paragons in this book. That's, yeah, that's one of those maybe, kind of selective... Maybe the main character's sisters is kind of okay, but... <laughs> yeah, that's kind of one of those selective things where it's like, you can say that a certain author or writer thinks that you know one particular group of people are terrible but there are some of those writers i think some of the better ones anyway where just everyone's terrible like i think we encountered that when you read the homecoming Mm -hmm. um because pinter's plays are often just filled with just terrible people so like you can make an argument that why did he write a play where there's only one woman and why is she you know dominating the whole story and taking over other characters and using her sex to do that. But none of those guys are good people. Like it all evens out (laughs) in that wash. 
So everybody sucks. The end. Welcome to Gone Girl. Everybody sucks. <laughs> uh, so let's get in the book, Andrew. Let's get into Gone Girl. All right, I'm gonna run down a quick plot synopsis. I'm just gonna shoot it all out. Gross. In like a, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our main character is Nick Dunn, who is a guy who used to live in New York working as a writer, but then he lost his job. You know, I wonder where she got that I idea. Where from. that came from? <laughs> and there's, I don't know. There's this. There's a point in the book where he thinks specifically that he can't keep up with like the fast-paced world of web writing, and so when he loses his print, his print paper job, he's just out. Like he knows he can't keep up with Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and Tumblr and Friendster and I, Napster and all the different. I kind of get. I kind of get it. Live Journal and I get Zynga. it. He does. He doesn't want to update his Zynga every day. He's that's not worth his time. I, mean, I think it's Zynga. Zynga is the is the. He doesn't want to play Zynga company. every day. He's <laughs> <laughs> he can't keep up with that. Uh, so yeah, Nick, Nick, he gets laid off. Um, and then like right around when he gets laid off, it comes to his attention that his mom is very sick with cancer and he goes back home to Missouri to take care of her. Now he's not doing this in a vacuum, right? He ha- no, he's, he's not doing married. this in a vacuum. He is married to this girl named Amy, um, who is, you know, he, she was also a writer in New York. Um, she also loses her job around the same time and she, I guess, I guess the most pertinent thing because it, it sort of justifies why the media cares about this, this thing so much is Mm -hmm. her parents wrote this series of books called the amazing Amy books. And I guess they're just like kids books about this girl who's like the girl version of gallant. Sure. From yeah. from Goofus and Gallant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and real Amy in this in this comparison is kind of the Goofus character. <laughs> How long have you been thinking like, about that that comparison? I I actually just came up with it. I don't sit around thinking about highlights for children <laughs> all the time. But sometimes it just strikes me. <laughs> You're like sitting around a restaurant like where is there a magnifying glass hidden in this room? <laughs> Oh, what are the five things between these two pictures that are different? <laughs> and um, the, so the format of the book, it's um, alternating chapters. You'll get Nick's perspective and then you'll get Amy's perspective. And Amy's perspective is given to us in the form of these diary entries. Like we spend our, all of our time in like the first half of the book with Nick in the present and then Amy in the past and her diary entries you know, they t- tells about their like meet cute and the the nice part of their early relationship Great. and marriage, and then begins to detail how around the time of the layoff and the move to Missouri, which she was not crazy about, like she was willing to do it, but he didn't ask her before because she's a she's a New it, York so. trust fund baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, you know, from there, their marriage is all downhill, and the entries take on this kind of dark bent and it you know she starts talking about how she's afraid of nick and how he's afraid how she's afraid that he could hurt her and um but wait but what's going on in the nick 
plot line at this I was just, time. I was just going to get to that. Okay. This is important because the book basically begins with her mysteriously disappearing. <laughs> okay. Uh, from their home. And Nick, Nick like comes home to find their living room sort of messed up. And Amy's gone. And the police come. And they start to find slowly over the course of these chapters evidence that points to Nick as the culprit. Okay. And you get pretty early on, you get the sense that Nick is hiding something. And part of the reason you get the sense is because he says that he's lying to the cops, <laughs> but he doesn't say what he's lying about, which I think is weird because we're supposed to be like in his head with his thoughts. And he's like saying that he's lying. He's, he's saying like, oh, I told six lies to the cops just now. But you don't, you know, he doesn't say what about. Like, how often do you think, oh, I just did this. And then like your brain stops thinking and you don't think about the stuff that you're lying yeah, about. Yeah. I don't know. The book doesn't work if she if she tells you what he's lying about, though. I know. Like Nick's chapters are delivered as though they are diary entries, but they are not. Like it's it's the it's the kind of perspective that you get if he had written it down. But oh, really? It's, present, it's presented as though you're in his head while it's happening. I don't know. Okay. Maybe that's not maybe that's not intentional. Maybe it's meant to all be read as something that's written and we're and we're reading about it after the fact. But yeah, I I found that I found that a little uh disconcerting. And there are a few other things about the about the way the story is told that I I didn't much care for that we can get into after I finish this plot synopsis. It's fine. Which I said would be fast and has not actually I keep stopping you. It's okay. All right. So at this point, we're about halfway through the book, and Nick is beginning to look pretty guilty. And we also find out that he has a mistress who is mostly described as, like, buxom. Like, that's her main characteristic, as she has nice boobies. Great. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the, the, the way that she is introduced, I liked. Uh, um, he says, now is the part where I have to tell you I have a mistress and you stop liking me if you like me to begin with. Oh, okay. So he is, yeah, that gives, okay, that makes clear that there is an intended reader of this story. That makes yes. sense. All right. So he's he's starting to look pretty bad. But then, mind trap, Amy's not dead. Mind trap. And she left home and she's trying to frame Nick for a murder that didn't happen. Okay. And she's gone to really, really extreme lengths. To make it seem like he murdered her and he's doing it because she knew about the cheating the whole time and she did not like it one bit. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then and we'll just speed through the rest of it. Basically, Amy goes on the lamb. She has some cash money with her. Her plan is to sit from afar and watch her plan unfold and um, wallow in her glee i guess okay as her husband gets his his comeuppance but she's hanging out in this like hillbilly town and some of the hillbillies notice she has money and they take it and so she is her her plan has not gone as off as intended so she has no money she's desperate she calls this guy desi who is an old boyfriend of hers from college and she name. thinks that he's like the only and, and he's been obsessed with her for a long time. And okay. so she thinks that he's he's the one she can trust, like not to say anything and to want Nick to be screwed as badly as she wants Nick to be screwed. OK, uh, Desi takes her back to his palatial estate where it turns out that she can't really leave even if she wants to. 
because he is kind of a creepy stalker guy and he's just kind of keeping her there. Yep. Um, while, while she is trapped in this palatial estate, Nick, with the help of this flashy lawyer, is mounting a, a counteroffensive where he's kind of figured out that she's screwing with him and he decides to screw with her back. And so she he's saying, oh, I'm so sorry I cheated. Oh, Amy, come home. Oh, I love you and I miss you so much. Like he's trying to appeal to her ego and, and get her to come back because that's basically the only way that he's going to clear himself. Like all the evidence is too damning otherwise. Oh, he needs her. He needs her to be alive and be alive publicly. Yes. And so Amy gets to the point where she wants to go back, but Desi won't let her. And so she kills him. Mind trap. Mind trap number two. <laughs> that's not even a mind trap. That's just a... <laughs> trap that sprung on the wrong person i guess um and then she she goes back home she concocts this story where he just kidnapped her from the home and she killed him in self-defense because he was raping her all the time okay um and like nick knows what's up and she comes clean to him about what she did but only like in the shower while they're naked so she knows that he's not wearing a wire (laughs) and then here's here's the part of the book that gets really unsatisfying is you want like the reader wants. And for a while, Nick and his sister and one of the detectives who's helping them, like they want to expose Amy for the liar that she is, but they can't like, they just, they can't, they can't like Desi's dead. They have no witnesses. They can't, it's just their word against hers. And so they can't disprove what, she is saying yeah and and the media circus has made it so that she's a very very sympathetic character mm-hmm. and any attempts to uh drag her through the mud i guess without without ample evidence is not going to go very well and so by the end of the book they just kind of reach this detente where amy has impregnated herself with a sperm sample that nick gave to a fertility clinic like several years back okay and they're having a baby and Nick decides like to stick it out because like now they know everything about each other. Like they know that they're both terrible. <laughs> but what's and so, so they're terrible just, like, about they're just playing him. this they're just playing this very ominous game of house. <laughs> yeah, that's where true. Where they're both real they're both a little wary of each other, but they also like deeply understand each other, and that's the end of the book. That's that's the bulk of it. Yeah, that's. Did you find the ending unsatisfying? Why did and why did. did you find it unsatisfying? I wanted Amy to get nailed. I mean, okay. Nick, Nick is kind of a crappy dude too, but Amy killed a man and tried to frame a guy for her murder. <laughs> so, I guess I I wanted her to get her comeuppance. Okay. Okay. And she I... didn't. So that that was the core part of what I found unsatisfying. But there were there were other things, and and you've seen the movie, right? I have seen the film, the major motion picture, as you say. The thing about the major motion picture is that it cuts a lot of fat from the book that I think desperately needed to be cut. Okay, yeah, you said the last week tells this book more, was too long. Yeah, the the movie tells a more streamlined story that i think the book should have told (laughs) what what is unnecessary 
what I'll just give you I'll, I'll give you a few examples of individual scenes and and most of the cruft comes in the front half of the book where you know that something is up with Nick and you just want it to come out already. <laughs> oh, okay. Like and like the book is a page turner, but that first half can be very frustrating because cuz just like anybody can anybody can figure out that something is not as it seems and it seems like the book is trying to lead you to believe that Nick is the killer but it's doing it in such an obvious way that you know that that's not what that is not what is going on but if that makes sense but is it does it do a pretty decent job of hiding the fact that she is behind it yeah yeah okay up until up until the midpoint like you you the whole first half of the book, the time you spend with Amy is in the past tense. And so you don't, you know, you never know whether you're actually going to run into her or not. Yeah. And then, you know, you get to the halfway point. You get to, it's split up into like three books, like three sub books. Okay. And the beginning of book two is like, the beginning of book two is like, life is so much easier now that I am dead. And that's Amy. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. And that's your introduction to like real Amy and not manufactured diary entry amy yeah because none of those are like real right no like that that's the extent to which she wants to to screw nick is she invents and writes like several hundred diary entries all in different you know different pencils and pens and they you know they tell this story of a tragic relationship and it's just it's all very calculated and it's a pretty clear sign of of the lengths that she goes to, mm-hmm. um, and she you know she also plants some evidence and stuff, and that's one of the things that the movie does better than the book, is the book has several more pieces of evidence that <laughs> that Nick and the police find, and there's you know there's a very brief scene in the movie where a couple detectives go to this abandoned mall, because I mean part of the part of the deal with the backdrop is this missouri town that they're both in is like economically depressed yeah yeah which which is not it's not central to the story like the the relationship between nick and amy is and that that could really have unfolded anywhere do you so in the movie there's like there's like two minutes where these detectives go to this mall and they interrogate this guy who like saw Amy trying to buy a gun. And let me and tell so you real quick, clue. that yeah. scene in the movie looks like Demolition Man. It looks <laughs> like an apocalyptic wasteland inside that mall. Yeah, it's like the, the mall is Thunderdome it's or something. It's like, how long has that mall been out of service that like all the lights are off, a thousand hobos moved in, and the cops just said, well, whatever. Like, what? that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Just the homeless problem is so bad that that they that it's just easier to let them live in there, I guess. Because in the book, they there's another sub 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 plot where there are so many homeless people because that town in Missouri used to be where they made those blue test books. Really, that's that's the reason that and they're the, all out the, of a job. And the blue test book factory shut down, and so there are all kinds of homeless people. Give me a break because they don't. They don't make blue tests. No, the Scantron factory shut down in King of Prussia, so (laughs) everybody lives in the mall now. What if there was a scandal that involved the Scantron people 
and the 24-hour news cycle dubbed it Scamtron. What if that happened? Just want to just throw that one out there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you just bubble in bubble in see if you don't have a better response to this question. <laughs> that's okay. statistically that's okay, statistically came, mo- the most likely to be the right answer. Came around on that one. I would like to see a show starring Carrie Washington called Scantron. <laughs> it's it's a very racy show about standardized testing. That'd be pretty cool. Um, what were we talking? We were talking about, about that oh, weird stuff mall in, scene. stuff in the book that yeah. didn't need to happen. All right, so that scene, the movie's very small. They're in the Mad Max mall for like two minutes. It's characters that we've already met in the book. It's like Nick and Nick's father-in-law and a couple of towny friends of Nick's who we never ever see again, and they like mount this this thing where they're going to go into the mall and bust heads and find out what the homeless people have done with Amy. And it's just, it's, it's the kind of thing that happens in the book that doesn't need to. I mean, they're just these extraneous characters who pop up for no reason other than to pad things out. Do you think that stuff's there to, to perhaps let us think for just a second that Nick didn't do it, like while the rest of the book is trying real hard to tell us that he did. See, the problem with that, and that's my other big problem with this, is that Nick, I don't know, Nick Nick is acting so detached and weird about the whole thing the whole time that even when he agrees to go in and bust homeless people heads in the mall, the apocalypse mall, You don't you don't really believe that his heart is in it. Like he seems distracted and, and I guess it's supposed I'm, to be I'm because just, he has this what, mistress that he's thinking about, but Nick, what are you why are you just kinda hanging out while we're beating up these hobos? Well, I'm just kinda whatever. Just whatever. Just I'm just kinda I don't know, I guess my wife's gone. It's just, I just And you would think that <laughs> you would think that before the halfway point in the book if you're spending this time, either if you're in his head or if you're reading something he's written, like he doesn't say I didn't kill my wife until super, super late in the book. <laughs> okay. Like he doesn't even address it. Like he doesn't even really wonder what happened to her hmm. very much. Hmm. Cause I mean, he kind of wanted a divorce and he's kind of almost relieved that she has disappeared. Yeah. And it's only once the cops start really getting up in his face and making it obvious that he is the prime suspect in their investigation that he starts to think, you know, maybe I should stop acting so shifty around the cops all the time. Yeah. Oops. I just can't get out of my head the idea that Hot Topic took over that entire mall and that's what happened. I don't think that, I mean... That's what it would look like if the whole mall were Hot Topic. If the whole mall were Hot Topic, it would look like just a giant Adventure Time cosplay (laughs) convention. (laughs) Like, the whole time. You're right. I'm thinking of Hot Topic from 15 years ago. I'm not thinking (laughs) of Hot Topic now. Wait, has it changed in the last 15 years? It seems like you know a lot about Hot Topic, Craig. I don't know. I just... 
How many how many little spiky bracelets do you have that that I don't see you wearing? I never owned a spiky bracelet or a wallet chain for that matter. How, how do you know you're not going to lose your wallet if you don't have it on a chain? I don't know that actually, and that's terrifying. <laughs> how how can you live with that uncertainty <laughs> in your life? I really can't. It drives me crazy. Um <laughs> So here's something that I felt during the movie, and I'd be interested to see uh, if you felt this way during the book. All right. Tell me what your feelings were. I felt like I never got a sense, and this is probably purposeful. I think this is purposeful. I feel like I never got a sense of who Amy actually was ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like... Because she is performing throughout the entire f- like story, um, because the the person that we're seeing in flashback is is kind of like sort of what really happened, but definitely not actually what really happened. And then the person who shows up later and is interacting with real people after her story goes awry is not her either. Like she's still kind of. She's playing Desi and she's playing the hillbilly people. Um, And at the end, like, the way she's overselling it with Nick feels calculated. Maybe it's it's just that her entire behavior is so calculated that there are very few moments where you actually are, like, witnessing a person react to stimuli as, like, themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I will say that book Amy is very calculating. Like she's always always calculating, and even like the, you know, the smallest slights against her, she she has a tendency to go like Old Testament God on people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a, that was another point where that the movie streamlined is you know Nick talks to an older boy an old boyfriend of Amy's who. Like he was trying to do the slow fade. Like he got tired of the relationship and was just trying to do the thing where he, you know, they don't talk and so the relationship ends. Yeah. And she didn't care. She didn't care for the slow fade. And so she, um, she faked a rape basically and ruined uh, his life. Uh, which I don't even, I don't even want to get into that. No. Minefield because there, there are too many. I don't know, like men's rights activist people who are like, "Oh, all rapes are faked." And blah, blah, blah. Uh, nope, nope. Um, I don't even. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, I just. I don't want to. That's that's. And I think that's I mean. where the book, without without actually going into, it, I think that's where some of the criticism as of Flynn has come from is just that. I, like, I could see that. I could it, definitely see that because you get. You do get a little sense of like, oh, crazy, vengeful girlfriend fakes a rape to punish this guy or whatever. This poor, innocent guy who's just trying to do the slow fade. And I think be- also it's like, I want us, we're, we're, we're getting to the point where we start talking about what the book's about in, in our right. episode. And I do, I do want to get back to movie Amy versus book Amy, but go on. We can go down this branching path a little bit okay further, I think. um because i feel like the what would make the book an easy you know bit of ammunition for someone with a misinformed view of uh women i'll say that <laughs> gently um 
is that the story feels very pulpy um, and sure. very comfortable, simultaneously comfortable in its genre and kind of very excited to play with its genre, you know, of the like a domestic thriller. Mm-hmm. Whereas if if it were something that were. And this, I don't say this as a as a knock against the book, but if it were something that were more overtly like capital L literary, and it wasn't as plot driven as it is, do you think that it would it would be as easy? Like, it, it, could it be more nuanced about what it's dealing with? I don't know. That might not be um, a, a full. That's a half baked thought that I stumbled into. No, I don't. I don't know. It, it's it's um. It's kind of this this melding of a bunch of different genres, but you're you're right, I guess, in that in that it's it's not capital L literature stuff. Like the first half is kind of a who done it almost, yes. and then yeah. midway through it shifts gears into this like psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that like answers your question because I'm not. 100% sure what your question is. Well, I think it's um, I think it's that it does it what are the themes that it may or may not be exploring and is it a book that is actually exploring them or is it just trying to tell a grip and yarn? I don't know that it's super interested in exploring themes except maybe you could take it as like very, very exaggerated commentary on like what marriage is like or like what the give and take between two people can be like. Yeah. It, what you, or like, you know, what, what is, what, why do people stay together? I guess. And, and in this book, the ambiguous ending seems to imply that like, knowing like really knowing the other person is enough like yeah. that's the most important thing i don't i don't know maybe i might be stretching a little bit but well and that's kind of that's kind of my point is from it's just what, like what what do people what do people do to each other and how do people react to the things that are done to them <laughs> yeah and i and stuff like that I, I my guess. read on the end of the film the major motion picture excuse me um Get it right. Come on. Was it was far more Stockholm syndrome syndrome than it sounds like the book was. And I'm, maybe I maybe I'm just reading Stockholm it wrong. Syndrome, it feels syndrome-y. it feels more like there was an inevitability and this like kind of mutual resignment and agreement. Whereas kind of what you're sounds like you were describing from the book is is a bit more of a like a detente and a, a, an armistice. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a detente. Yeah. And, um, part of Amy's beef with Nick is that he stopped trying with her. Hmm. And then one of the things that her crazy frame up scheme made him do is like try even though he was faking it to just get her to come home to clear his name, like yeah, he was trying to connect with her and to reach her in a way that he hadn't before. And I think that 
like the the after effect of her being all crazy I I I shouldn't that that's not a thing but the, the after the 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 effect of her doing her whole murder mystery scheme thing mm-hmm. is that he is always on guard now like he's always trying because he knows that if he <laughs> gets too far out of line she might kill him with a box cutter yeah um, uh, but yeah, let, okay. let's go back to movie, let's go movie back to, Amy versus book Amy. Sure, do it. Um, I kept my thumb in that page of the Choose Your Own Adventure book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move, movie Amy seems simpler than book Amy. Like okay. She, she's so narcissistic that... Like th- there's a moment in the movie where she's watching an interview that Nick is giving on TV and he says, oh, I love you, Amy. I want you to come home, Amy. And like in that moment, she goes from full on Old Testament God to like, oh, I have to get back to my husband. Like, what am I doing? It's a very it's a very quick judgment that makes her character seem more simple than she does in the book. Because mm-hmm. in the book, it's a more gradual thing. Like it's it's one of the few places I think where the book takes more time with something and actually benefits from it instead of just muddying the waters. Yeah. I I don't know if I read that moment as her deciding to go back to him as much as just, just like her rapt attention, like could not be distracted from watching the TV that he was on. Like she just is so into like hearing stuff about herself and people paying attention to her. That, that that is what dictates a bunch of her reaction to stuff. And in the, in the book you get more of the sense that um, like halfway point diary, Amy, like super calculating Amy is real Amy. Okay. Like that's, that's who she actually is. Yeah. And I just, instead of in the movie where I think it's a little more ambiguous and she kind of shifts back and forth based on how, other characters are reacting to her and it's, it's a little less clear, but in, yeah, in the book you get a better sense for, for what she's doing because you actually spend time in her head instead of just watching her do stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Which is one of those things where in the film she's, you're, there are very few moments where you're seeing her without someone else. And even then the parts that she's like narrating, which are obviously many of them lifted from the book. Um, Mm -hmm. Because Gillian Flynn wrote the screenplay, um, yes, right. She's still like performing for the for the literal audience in the for theater, the reader or whoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just don't know. I found that distance both impressive and frustrating, and and that doesn't mean that it shouldn't shouldn't have been either. You know, it's one of those things mm-hmm. where it's, I think the if it's entertaining as it goes stories don't necessarily have to be satisfying i think that that can be a criticism levied on certain works and i i this is one of those ones where i i go back and forth on whether or not uh the ending is like qualitatively bad mm-hmm. or if it's just supposed to be like a mega bummer like it's supposed to be the apo- <laughs> it's supposed to be the apocalyptic mall of endings, you know. I I, don't know. I, I think uns- unsatisfying doesn't mean bad. Yeah, because I think it's just it's it's our nature to want resolution to a story like this, and the book doesn't really resolve anything. They just they settle into this 
uneasy thing. And and we're sort of trained from more conventional storytelling to to either get like the dark story where the villain wins, like unequivocally wins, yes. or the you know the good story where the quote unquote hero wins, even though Nick is a you know severely flawed hero. <laughs> yeah. And in this book, neither happens. Like hero and villain get back together and and realize, I guess, what they have in common and kind of reach an uneasy peace. And that's it's a it's an ending that doesn't come up a lot. And I think it's an ending that doesn't come up a lot because it makes the preceding events just seem like a bunch of stuff that happened mm. <laughs> instead of a story with a point that is trying to make. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I often that usually that tends to be the point that it's trying to make. And that's, yeah. it feels like it's not a real point because it, it doesn't have like a concluding set, you know, thesis, but that is the, Ah, uh, my head's in circles. <laughs> I think I get what you're trying to say. Like, the the point is that stuff is kind of pointless sometimes. Yeah. Before we run out of time, um, how uh, how gruesome is it to read? There's there's a couple parts of the of the film that are pretty gruesome. Does it read as gruesome and nasty on the page? No, it's a little colder. You're a little you're a little more separated from stuff. Okay, is that because of like the lens you're viewing it through? You think, like the person, think, the narrator, or whoever. I think probably. I think probably, and you and you don't have that Trent Reznor score like hanging over your head as you read the book, yeah. which really, which really makes some of the scenes in the movie more tense because you just have like that that like static build up thing that they do. Yes. Where it just keeps getting gradually louder and you're like, okay, when is this going to stop? Because that's when things are the most scary. It's, yeah. And you didn't realize that there was <laughs> like even quote unquote music playing until it was like freaking you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's part of David Fincher's got that aesthetic now. It's a thing. Yeah. All right. That's Gone Girl. So that's Gone Girl. Um I would recommend reading it. Of course, if you have gotten this far and you haven't read it already, whoops, sorry, I kind of ruined the whole book for you. <laughs> uh, because we spent such time talking about the film and the and the book, you fall down that the film is better? Or do you, you find it more satisfying? Because um, satisfying is a good buzzword to use today? I think. I mean, it's it's not that classical thing where the book is definitely better. I think that the movie is more economical in a way that the book should have been i th- I think i really think they're about equal okay honestly um but i mean i think that i think they are best when you have seen both because then you get like two different takes on what is essentially the same story like there's no change to the arc i think it probably in part because flynn wrote both the book and the screenplay yeah it's not like she gave a slightly different ending it's just that yeah right it's yeah. just it's it's the the path from point A to point B to point C is is just a little bit different and is a little more streamlined. And, you know, like I said, there are a couple instances where the books, you know, the book can be more expansive and it's good for the story. All right. But it's, I don't know, it's like a, it's a study in storytelling almost. Like you start to realize like what the core of the story is and what the extraneous elements are. Oh, like as you're going it, through what it. made it into the movie that yeah. was that was in the book. Yeah. How 
surprised were you when the twist happened? I I wouldn't say I was surprised because I was expecting a twist at some point. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was. I guess I I was not expecting it to be like super vengeful wife. Like totally fabricating an entire record of her existence and and trying to frame her husband for her murder like that was that was that was surprising (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't surprised that there was a twist but i was surprised at the form that the twist took all right all right cool all right that's that's gone girl that's gone girl she's gone now bye bye girl bye girl If you do, do you think the gone girl might might be like the past tense of oh you go girl, <laughs> like if she already go girl then like oh you gone girl. What are you saying? If you know what Andrew's saying right now, you need to tweet <laughs> us at Overdue Pod or put it put a translation on our Facebook page facebook.com slash Overdue Pod. If you can go like line by line and help me out, just write an email to overduepod at gmail.com. We also have a website at overduepodcast.com where we have Amazon links to all the books that we are reading that you can click and you can buy stuff and we get a little bit of cut. Uh, We get a little cut of all the stuff that you buy and it helps us pay for books and for hosting and that good stuff. We also have RSS and iTunes links that you can use to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out which is technically every Monday. I think we usually we hit Monday, even if we're on the later end of things. Uh, Monday somewhere. Um, and if you subscribe via iTunes, do rate and review the show because that helps us out and it makes us feel good. And, you know, I don't know. Tell tell a friend about the show this week. Come on. What, do you, what have you done for us lately? I don't... You I, hey, I feel like some people... I don't know. Word's getting out there somehow. Our Facebook... Ooh, we got another rating since the last time. Good. Our Facebook... Right, I'm sorry, guys. You're all... You're great. We're friends again. That's good. <laughs> Our Facebook page is growing. I feel like slowly but surely people are finding the show. So but to those of you who have recommended it or, or passed it along, we greatly appreciate it. And to those of you who haven't, please tell your friends in Wyoming or Alaska. They're the two states we haven't hit this year. And... We're running out of time because that Christmas creep is coming, and we got. It's my <laughs> it's personal up on goal the to get all fifty states by the end of the year. So fix it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I d- we got a new iTunes review. I do want to read it. If okay, okay. That, no, it's fine. Um, it's a review from Citizen Seth. Sure. Who, the The review start the re- like the title of the review is "Meh, I've had worse." <laughs> okay. Um, and then he says, seriously, Andrew and Craig are great. This is one of only two podcasts I listen to at normal speed, listen to others at 2x to hurry through them. But the humor and banter here is great. Andrew and Craig have a great repartee and seem to have a total bromance going on. Thank you. That's accurate. It's cute and a little geeky. It's great when they cover a book I've already read, but equally fun when it's a book that's brand new to me. I don't think they've had a bad episode yet, and I don't expect them to start now, which is pretty good because i thought our summerland episode was a little <laughs> hey i was i was i edited that one and i had a great time listening to it oh did you thought i in the in the moment i was just like what is that? what are we talking well about? you don't also don't recall because you we forget these episodes as soon as we've done them that we spent it's true maybe half that episode actually talking about that book so 
Yeah, I don't. I I try not to look at the timestamps for how long we were talking about Christmas. Creek, it's, but don't it was, worry it about it. It was a little. Bit. Don't worry about it. All right, everybody. Uh, what are you reading next week, Craig? Oh Do you know? no, I I started. <laughs> I will say I started Moby Dick, but that's that's a long term project. That's a long one. So call me Ishmael. Um, so I'm working on finding another one. It it should be up on the website by the time that this episode posts, though. So. All right, and um, the other. There are two whole books that I read on my break and then one that I'm going to make it through pretty soon. Um, there is uh, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. There is A uh, Secret History by Donna Tartt. And then there's Lolita by, um, by what's his name? Who's the guy? Nabokov. Yeah, Nabokov. Um, if you guys if you guys have a preference as to which one we do first, like go ahead and tell us because right now we have no particular designs, I don't think. Um, I think we'll do Handmaid's Tale next, but I could be convinced otherwise. So, you know, hit us at overduepod at gmail.com and let us know. Yeah, I would I would love to. People seemed excited about the Gone Girl episode. Um, and I would love if, you know, part of this is on us to, to get the word out as soon as Andrew's doing right now. But if you see a show coming up on the horizon that you want to share a thought about or or ask us a question about, that I would love to do more of that. So, And just keep recommending books because... Almost every book that I read had been recommended to me by a listener. So That's we've got cool. a big Google Doc. Like I love to keep throwing books on that pile because it's a great place to go when I don't have anything like right sitting on my shelf. So great. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, all right, everybody. Um, until next week, try to be happy. Bye.